Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. Excuse my cough. And uh, this is our Sunday school hour, and we're going to be looking at um, June 25th. And, uh, you know, I do all of that, and it just blows my mind how fast time goes by. We're more than halfway through uh, this year. So it's a good time just to stop and think, how has the first half of 2023 gone for you? How has it been spiritually for you? How has it been with your discipline, your goals, your um, growth in the Lord, your witnessing, <coughs> giving, all of those kind of things? Good time to do a little evaluation. I think sometimes we wait until the end of the year when it's too late to do anything about it. And so uh, I would encourage you to look at it now. Uh, if you haven't kept up with your Bible reading, then start doing it now. At least get half of the year in and have some spiritual fruit for all of that. We also uh, want to remind you as we come into summer that uh, giving is important in the summer because there are a lot of people that they kind of view church like a sporting event or theater or something like that. In other words, uh, there are a lot of shows going on at the Civic Center that I don't pay for because I don't go to them. But if I go to one, then I'll certainly pay for it. And some people kind of view church like that. And so if they're gone for two weeks, they don't bother uh, with their giving on that because they weren't here. And uh, I would encourage you not to do that because you need the blessing of God, number one, all the time, even while you're on vacation. And secondly, I mean, we're your church family and we still have bills to pay and utilities are higher in the summer. And also, too, this is a time when camps and VBS and a lot of expenditures go out in the summertime when giving a lot of times drops. So uh, I want to encourage you on that. And then the other thing is to pray. We are doing some things in the summer with uh, student camp. And I know this past week you heard Isaac talk about that. I hope you did. And uh, that can make a tremendous impact, even if it's not today. It may be something that uh, these kids, I mean, good night. If you're a senior in high school, you're within about five years of some major, major life decisions, where you're going to live, what you're going to study, who you're going to marry, you know, those kind of things. And uh, so a lot of times the things that uh, teenagers are taught, they don't really show up until later. And then it's, uh, oh, yeah, I remember somebody saying something about that. And then they try to put it all together. You remember you did the same thing. So uh, pray for uh, the camps this year, student camp, fruit from that. Pray for uh, the children's camp that's going to be coming up before too much longer. And also pray for VBS and uh, pray for fruit from that. And I know by the time you study this, it will be over. But uh, over is kind of a relative term. Over in what way? Over in terms that God is done with it and he's not working any longer? Well, we know that's not true. Over in the respect that the seed of the word of God uh, is no longer growing? Well, we know that's not true. So uh, we need to bathe everything we do uh, in prayer. And uh, pray for the students as well, elementary all the way through uh, college because summers are shorter than they were when I went to school. We got a full three months off. They don't get near uh, as much of that time off, and uh, they already are thinking about school, and you're going to see back-to-school stuff 
later on and think about what all they're going to face. You know, we live in a wicked, wicked, wicked world. And think about all of the things that they're going to face. And to them, they don't always see it as shocking because to them it's just normal. It's just everyday stuff. They don't pay that much attention to it. And uh, things are going to get worse. And so uh, we really need to bathe them in prayer. And that brings us to uh, the title of our lesson, Settling an Essential Dispute. You know, there are some disputes that, man, they're not worth anything. And uh, they're just stupid. And they're just time-wasting. And people argue about all kinds of things. You know, sports, who has the better team? Well, who could have beat the team that they didn't beat if they only had another chance? Or if something had happened or if the ref had made a better call? You know, things like that that will never really know and they don't matter even if we could somehow know them and yet we get so wrapped up in those type of things and we like to argue we like to be right there are a lot of people that uh, you can go to them when you're in a dispute and say i'm sorry and it doesn't mean anything to them what they really want to hear is you were right that's kind of narcissistic isn't it and we've got to be careful that we don't become that kind of person who's right is not always the, the big issue in probably uh, 80%, is that generous, is that strong enough, of the things that we kind of disagree on or get our feelings hurt over or get our feathers ruffled over, uh, even in church. But let's leave room for the fact that there are some things that are absolutely important. And what we're talking about now is the Apostle Paul and we're going to stay in Galatians. We'll make a little bit of reference to what we looked at last week, that Acts 15 Jerusalem Council, because that's very, very important. But our text today is Galatians 2, 1 through 5. Now, we, we see Paul, and we have to understand him. His main concern was, number one, for the glory of God, and number two, for the salvation of souls. In fact, he talks about, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. And just by using the word elect, we know he's referring back to Romans 8 and 9 and the sovereignty of God. Uh, that's where God is glorified in saving sinners like us. But he also wants them to personally know and experience the joy and the liberty and the peace of that salvation, all the blessings of it and all the fruit of the Spirit. And he wants that to be in people's lives. So he traveled all over the place, endured all kinds of hardship for the sake of the gospel, glorifying God and seeing souls saved. Now, for the sake of these two things, the gospel must be accurate and it must be clear. Now, it's possible that uh, somebody could share the gospel accurately but not clearly. And it also could be true that somebody is Boy, they're just clear as a bell and very simple, but they're not accurate in the gospel. The gospel is the good news, and it's defined by God, not necessarily you or your understanding of it. Maybe you can explain it a better way, but uh, you can't change it. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, there was a group of people, we've called them Judaizers, because they wanted to promote Judaism. They were sold out to Judaism, and they wanted even Christians to keep the traditions and keep Judaism alive. Uh, they probably had red hats 
uh, bald caps that said, make Judaism great again, you know, something like that. And uh, they were really, really into that. In fact, in Acts chapter um, 11, verse 2, they're actually called the circumcision party. <laughs> it's kind of funny when you think about it. And they're also called in Acts 15, the party of the Pharisees. Now, none of that sounds great. All of that sounds kind of slanted. It sounds kind of tainted. And, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't sound real good. And they were confusing the most important issue of all. And it had to be cleared up. So we're going to try to uh, look today at how Paul handled the controversy and that he was righteously angry. You know, we all kind of claim that, but it's rarely true. But he was also wise in what he did because Paul controlled his anger. He didn't let his anger control him. And that's the big difference in that. Sometimes we get angry, but we don't get angry about the right things. Sometimes we get angry and we don't handle things in the right way because our anger has us instead of us having anger and it truly being righteous. So let's uh, go back to uh, the text we're going to look at in Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to start um, with verse 1. And it said, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and also I took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately so, uh, to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek or a Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of, look, look at the strong language Paul uses here, false brethren secretly brought in who came by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, no length of time at all, is what he means, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you, the glory and the truth of God and the salvation of souls. This is not something up for negotiation. This is not something we can say, well, you see it your way, I'll see it my way. It's either right or wrong. It's either pass or fail on this. So um, if we break this down, think about uh, number one. He showed respect for authority. Showed respect for authority. <coughs> there are a lot of people that when they see something they don't like, they go into rebellion mode. And God does not sanction this type of rebellion. They go into attack mode. And God does not sanction that type of thing. They go into discrediting mode. And that's really what the Judaizers were doing. They had heard this stuff about Paul. They didn't like it. And so they were going to go and they were going to make Paul, or try to make Paul look like a, an ignorant fool, to make him look like he was a traitor to uh, the scriptures and all of that, and then try to confuse everybody so that the people in Galatia would kind of be swayed over to the Judaizers like, well, they kind of know something Paul hadn't talked about. Maybe there's something to that, and uh, that's always uh, a dangerous thing. 
Now you notice he says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. See, Paul had uh, the idea that the church at Jerusalem was kind of the mother church for them and for everybody else. That's where it all started. That was kind of headquarters. They didn't really have a denomination or anything um, formal in the sense that we might think of now. But uh, they did recognize the fact that if the apostles, well, in Acts 2.42, it says that the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So if it didn't come from an apostle, if it wasn't sanctioned by the apostles, then there was a problem. They had walked with Jesus. They had been witnesses to the resurrection. They were the, um, I guess you would say, they were the uh, purveyors of divine revelation, meaning the scripture. And so uh, Paul wanted to go to them and he wanted to settle this issue. And uh, notice here, after 14 years. Now, um, I, I don't know exactly if we want to push the point that you ought to wait 14 years before you try to settle something. I don't think Paul waited that long. I think he was talking about during the time of his conversion. In other words, he's telling us he's not merely a novice. He's not just a rebel who's just jumping in and doesn't like things and wanting to tear up everything or burn everything down. Uh, Paul really wanted unity in the church instead of division. After all, in John 17, that's what Jesus prayed for. And Paul says that um, we are not to be children tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine, right? And he even talks about the uh, apostles and prophets and pastors, evangelists and teachers. Got that a little out of order, but you get the gist. Um, that they were given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Uh, no one here hires a pastor or a staff member in order to do the work of ministry. The job is to equip you to do the work of ministry so we have more people doing it and we are all fully equipped in what we do. And um, when there's division in the church and if we're teaching different things, then th that doesn't work and that doesn't work the way that it is supposed to. And Paul said that that happens until we all come to a unity in the faith and... Um, um, you know, that's something that we all ought to try. It ought to be that every time we gather, our goal is to unify, to overcome our differences. Now, how do we know who's right and who's wrong? And that's where we go to the Word of God. The Word of God settles the issue. And if you think about the apostles, that all of the New Testament was written either by an apostle or a close associate of an apostle, and that they continued, Acts 2.42, in the apostles' doctrine, I think it makes it clear that uh, when Paul was going back to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles, he said, let's get this straight. You guys are the ones that settle this scripturally and according to the truth. Now, the Judaizers claimed the backing of the apostles. After all, we're from Jerusalem. Where are you from? We associate with Peter and James and John. Who do you associate with? Paul and Barnabas and Titus, you know, come on. And uh, so Paul goes back to them. And even though Paul was considered an apostle, he said, I'm an apostle born out of time, he always respected what he called the 12 back in Jerusalem. 
And so he goes to them to appeal for clarity and unity and, uh, through the apostles. And he wants to get this settled. Do you guys really have the stamping of authority from the apostles or not? Because we can't both have it and we can't both be right. And so he went back to the source to do it. Now, he does it privately so that he doesn't stir up a bunch of division. It wasn't like he just dropped a bomb in the Sunday morning service about all of this and caused an uproar. He went to those who actually knew and could actually settle it. I think maybe, too, there was some strategy that if he had been too public about this, it would include in these false brothers, the Judaizers, and they would have contaminated everything and stirred up a bunch of trouble. And uh, he wanted to go and meet, and he wanted to be quiet. He wanted it to be uh, reasonable. He wanted it to be uh, settled with these apostles. So he's there with Peter, the apostle, of course, who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. He's there with James, the half-brother of Christ. And he's there with John, the uh, disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, Let's uh, go to number two. He acted with counsel and support. He didn't just take off and just do all of this because he felt like it or because he thought it ought to be done. The Bible says he went with Barnabas. So Barnabas is in full support of him. Barnabas has been saved longer than Paul has. Barnabas has a standing that we'll talk about in a, in a moment with the people in Jerusalem. And so he carries a lot of weight. And so if Barnabas saw a red flag to something, that would probably have shut the whole thing down. And he also took Titus with him because the apostles then could question Titus, what did Paul say? How were you converted? And if he says something screwball off the wall, you know, that, that, that doesn't match up with the truth of the gospel, then they would know something was wrong. So he's taking all of these guys with him because he wants... Uh, there to be accountability. He wants there also to be clarity on everything. So if the apostles think that Paul might be kind of coloring this a little bit differently than he should, they can ask one of these other two guys and get a straight answer. And if they all agree, then uh, as Deuteronomy says, everything's confirmed in the presence of two or three witnesses. And so he's got three uh, of them here that are going to be testifying. Now, um, Barnabas, if we go way back to the early days of the church, you remember in Acts chapter 4 that uh, Barnabas was called, jo well actually his name was Joseph, I think the King James says Joseph, and he was nicknamed Barnabas by the apostles. It means son of encouragement. That wasn't his proper name, his given name, that was a nickname. He was such an encouraging guy. He evidently was well off, he was from the priestly tribe of Levi, and uh, he had some land and things, and when he saw that there was a need in the body, you know what he did? Sold his own property, brought the money back, laid it at the apostles' feet so that uh, there wasn't any need that could go on in the church. Can you imagine if people did that now? I noticed that uh, there was somebody struggling uh, to pay off their education, so I sold my 64 Corvette, and here's the money from, I mean, can you imagine? And then if it came down to food or clothing or shelter, how much more powerful that would be. And so you can read about that in Acts 4, 36 and 37. So he had this standing in Jerusalem among the 
Jerusalem Christians especially uh, being this kind of person. So you can imagine those people that have been around with Barnabas in Acts 4 when they see him with Paul. Well, I thought Paul was some kind of a renegade. I thought Paul was somebody who was just making up a bunch of stuff and then preaching a false gospel to the uh, Gentiles. Well, Barnabas wouldn't be with him if that were the case. And uh, so I, I don't know that the circumcision party or the pharisaical party would be all that impressed with Titus. He was just an uncircumcised Gentile. But Barnabas, that, that's a different matter. Okay. Now, <clears throat> also remember, too, Paul and Barnabas had traveled together and done mission work together. And also, back in the early days when Paul was first saved in Acts chapter 9, 26 and 27, he tried to join himself with the apostles and they were too afraid of him because of his past. And it was Barnabas that stepped up and took him by the hand and took him in and introduced him to the brothers. And so uh, this and, and the missionary part is in Acts uh, 23 verse 2 where he was set apart by the Holy Spirit and they traveled together and then Titus is a Gentile convert and he could testify of his faith his theology the fruit in his life and certainly of his conversion so Paul's got all of his bases covered number three notice too that he was led by the Spirit not simply ego <coughs> I said earlier that some people the only thing that will settle them is you were right that's usually an expression of ego, isn't it? I've got to be proven right. I've got to drive it into the ground until everybody knows that I'm right. Well, Paul wasn't doing this simply because I want everybody to know I was saying the right thing and I wasn't wrong. It's a whole lot more than that. This is about truth. This is about an essential of salvation. Either these people in Galatia are saved or they're not. Either the Gentiles that Peter witnessed to... Uh, uh, through Cornelius and Caesarea, either they're saved or they're not. And uh, that's a big deal. Because if you have a Gentile and he's never circumcised and he dies, according to the Judaizers, he goes to hell for eternity. But if Paul's right, he goes to heaven. They've got to get this all straightened out. And notice he said, and I went up by revelation. It means it wasn't just under pressure. It wasn't a political type thing. It wasn't just something that uh, he was pressured into doing. He went by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says we're to be led by the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And lust of the flesh does include sexual things, but that's not the only thing your flesh lusts for. You can be a glutton. You can be lazy. You can be all kinds of things that are uh, fleshly lust, right? And so Paul is led by the Spirit to do this, led by revelation. And then you notice here, he communicated to, the, to them that gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles. And he did it privately, but he did it the same way that he did to Titus. And so Peter could look at Titus and say, Titus, is this what you heard? And Titus wouldn't go, oh, no, that wasn't quite it. Titus could say, yeah, that's exactly what I heard. And uh, Barnabas, is this what he preaches when he's around Jews as well as Gentiles? Yeah, that's exactly what we preach. And uh, that would confirm and affirm everything. And so the Holy Spirit is leading him here because the Spirit never contradicts the Word. Either the Judaizers are led by the Spirit or Paul is. 
Either the Judaizers are preaching truth or Paul is. It can't be both. And the Spirit's fruit never produces the work of the flesh. Galatians uh, chapter 5, verses 19 through 23, we see the contrast. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, here's a big contrast, the fruit or evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things uh, there is no law. And Paul said, I wanted to get all of this settled because if the Judaizers are right, then my whole thing among the Gentiles, especially in Galatia, it was empty. It was in vain. The word in vain means empty like a soap bu uh, bubble. If the apostles didn't support him, then all of his work was in vain. The Gentiles would be confused about the gospel and salvation and the church and all of that kind of stuff is going to be divided between Jews and Gentiles. And there could be the perception that there are two ways of salvation, one for Jews, one for Gentiles, when in fact there's only one way to be saved. So the Spirit drove Paul to clarity. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble, who agitate you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But, then if, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And Paul put himself in that category as well. And so it's got to be, there's just some things that have to be clear. Number four, he exercises discernment. And some people think discernment is intuition, this feeling that we have. Well, it's more than that. He said, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And um, he said, this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. They don't have anything to say to us, Paul said. If you don't get the gospel right, you're just not right, period. And if there's a church that doesn't get the gospel right, and you say, well, they've got some things right. No, they're not in the family. This is a completely different camp. And that's what Paul means by all of that. We're not part of them. They're not part of us. They've got it all wrong. Now, I want you to think about discernment more than just an intuition or a feeling that, number one, it's logical. And uh, the Jewish law was not placed upon Titus. So the question is, was he genuinely saved? Now, if they had circumcised Titus, that might have calmed down the Judaizers. That would have been an easy, quick fix, except that it wouldn't exactly be right. Now, if Titus wants to be circumcised to calm down the issue, he has that right. But it's not essential. Okay? Now... 
Think about this. It might have calmed them down, but it would have given a false view of the gospel to Titus and to others. So discernment is logical. It has to make sense all the way through for Jews as well as Gentiles, for then as well as now, and now as well as then. It all fits together. Discernment is logical. Notice that discernment is wise. Paul and the Judaizers could not both be right. And so his opposition to their addition to the gospel caused him to label them as false brethren. In other words, Jesus did all of the things and they supposedly agreed with it, but if you don't go through circumcision, you're really not saved. In other words, what Jesus did is, uh, it doesn't really matter. It's not really enough or it's just a part of the issue, but it's really about what you do. In other words, they were plants of the enemy trying to uh, rob the believers of the liberty and security that they had in Christ and his uh, sufficiency. And um, notice that the Judaizers were not upfront and honest about their intentions. And usually false brethren aren't. They're pretenders. Okay? Jude talked about those who contend for the faith versus those who pretend to be in the faith. And those who pretend, notice the use of the words secretly and stealth. Those aren't good words. And so when people are coming in and they are talking and they're spreading things, they have a new doctrine or they have some gripe that they have, but they don't want anybody to know it except you. Keep this secret. Keep this just between me and you. That's never really a good thing. We ought to be able to deal with it in the church. And the result, Paul said, would be bondage. And remember the words of Peter in Acts uh, 15 at the Jerusalem Council. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. In other words, we couldn't do it. Why are you putting it on them? We needed liberation from the law. The law condemned us. Christ died, bore the wrath of God on the cross in our place. Why would we be uh, taking this away from them? We couldn't do it, and neither could our really, 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 really super Jewish ancestors. Okay? Discernment is also based upon absolute truth. You cannot properly discern something if you're wrong. Okay? And the Word of God, not our feelings or mystical intuition or anything else, is the answer to that. We've got to follow the Scripture. Uh, no submission for any length of time to people who don't believe and follow the Bible and are not based upon the truth. Yeah, that's, that's great that you think that. That's great that you dreamed this. That's great that you had it. But it doesn't square with the Word of God. Sorry, time's up. We're out of this. So the Judaizers were wrong. And, uh, you know, not in something insignificant, but concerning salvation, concerning eternity. Acts 15, 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, 
you cannot be saved. But the truth of the gospel, Paul said, that it might continue in you. The way of salvation is not unclear, and it's not contradictory, and it's not confusing. There is no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Okay, through faith. Not faith plus something, through faith alone. And it's not of works, even works of righteousness, Titus 3 says, uh, because people would boast over that. And so it's not contradictory or confusing. We don't have to compromise on the issue of the gospel. And so uh, understand this. Most disputes among believers are much more insignificant and they're handled usually in a fleshly manner, leaving division and hurt and scars and wounds and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, no wonder they aren't resolved and uh, they produce strife instead of unity. May the Lord help us to be more loving and edifying like Paul, but may we also be more discerning and know when we are to stand up and when we are to just simply yield our rights and let it go because there is a big difference and all maturity is what leads us to understand where the differences are. Okay? Well, I hope that helps you. May the Lord bless you and thank you for your time. Thank you, teachers, for all that you do. God bless you for doing that. And for those of you who watch to keep up with your class, thank you for doing that. That means a lot to me and I really appreciate it and so will your class and your teacher. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and thank you again for your time to watch this video.